Chapter Twenty One of Darnley by G. P. R. James. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twenty One. Would I a house for happiness erect? Nature alone should be the architect. Cowley. Light hath no tongue, but is all eye. If it could speak as well as spy, this were the worst that it could say. That being well, I fain would stay. Done. We must now pass over a brief space of time with but little commemoration. It was a bright and beautiful morning in the beginning of the month of May, when the sky was of that soft, tender blue which it possesses in the early year, ere the ardent rays of summer have dyed it with a deeper tint. And yet there was nothing of that misty faintness of hue which foretells that the blue eye of heaven may be filled with tears before nightfall. It was clear though it was soft, and the light white clouds that, winged by the breeze, sped quickly over the wide expanse, gave to the earth no trace of their passing, except the fleeting shadows that followed them, which, hurrying rapidly over the distant fields and woods, made each spot as they left it look brighter than before. Every object that met the eye spoke of spring. The bright green of the trees, and the fields, and the woods, clearly told that they had not known the burning touch of summer, which, like manhood and the world's experience, coming o'er the fresh dreams of youth, withers while it ripens, and with its very first approach steals somewhat of the refreshing hue of early nature. The wild singing of the birds, rejoicing in the return of brightness to the earth, and making the whole air vocal with the bursting happiness of their renewed enjoyment, the busy hum of animated being rising up from hill and dale and wood and joining with their song upon the breeze all spoke of refreshed existence flowers painted the fields and blossoms hung upon the trees and perfume shook its light wings in the morning air and sprinkled it with balm it was one of those mornings when the heart opens and when every vein thrills with glad existence when we feel as it were the deity on the morning's breath when we hear him in the voice of creation when we worship him in his works and adore him in the temple he himself has raised the scene too was lovely it was in a wide open park where the rich thick grass spread like velvet over the slope and lawn so rich so thick its elasticity almost raised the foot that trod it on its luxuriant bosom the wide old trees, scattered in clumps or gathered together in broad sweeping woods, cast a deep shadow, defined and clear, making the glossy softness and the vivid green shine out more strongly for the contrast. It was the elm and the oak that principally tenanted that park, though occasionally a hawthorn or a beech would interpose, and wherever they congregated in a wood there was to be found every sort of shrub and brushwood clinging round their roots many a glade however appeared and many a lawn between and where the trees broke away there a wide extended view presented itself showing a rich and fertile country beyond full of green hedgerows and fields broken and diversified by the lines of hamlets and villages mingling in air of wealth prosperity and living gladness with the bright sweetness of the morning and the calm tranquillity of the park itself 
at the foot then of one of the old oaks in richmond park sat lady constance de grey while her woman margaret stood at a little distance with a page and sir osborne morris leaned by her side they had met by chance really by chance at that early hour in that remote part of the park though it is more than probable that the same thoughts acting on hearts so nearly allied had led them both forth to meditate on their fate and even after they had met the stillness of the scene seemed to have found its way to their souls for they remained almost in silence watching the clouds and gazing at the view content to feel that they enjoyed together the same sweet morning and the same lovely scene it may be as well however before proceeding further to give some slight sketch of what had occurred since the close of the last chapter though were we to account for every day it would be but detail of just after just tawny after tawny revel upon revel wearisome from their repetition and sickening from their vain splendour suffice it that sir osborne still maintained his place in the king's favour his lance was always held by the judges of the field as next to the king's his grace in the hall or at the court his dexterity in martial exercises his clerkly learning and his lighter accomplishments won him much admiration while a sort of unassumingness which seemed to hold his own high qualities as light silenced much envy in short it became the fashion to praise him and it was so easy for courtiers to applaud or to decry as the veering breath of favour changes that to believe the outward semblance sir osborne morris next to the king himself and charles brandon duke of suffolk was the god of the court's idolatry there was however many a curious whisper of who was he whence did he come what was his family and some of the knights who had served abroad and had been with the king at terouen and tournay conferred together and shook the wise head but still it was remarked that they were amongst those who most praised and sought the young knight sir osborne marked with a keen and observing eye all that passed about him and seeing that he was recognised by more than one he felt that he must hasten to prevent his secret being communicated to the king by any lips but his own and now high in favour he only waited a fitting opportunity to hazard all by the avowal of his name and rank wolsey had been absent for nearly a month in his diocese at york and removed from the influence of his presence lord darby and lady katrine bulmer sir osborne and constance de grey seemed to have forgot his stern authority and given course to the feelings of their hearts the knight had seen lady constance almost every day and good mistress margaret her woman with whom sir osborne was no small favourite took care not to exercise towards him that strict etiquette which she practised upon all other visitors leaving them full opportunity to say all that the hearts sought to communicate as she very well perceived what feelings were busy in their breasts thus everything between them was explained everything was known there was no coldness there was no reserve there was none of that idle and base coquetry which delights in teasing a heart that loves constance de grey loved sincerely openly and she had too high an esteem for the man she had chosen to suppose that the acknowledgment of that love could make it less worthy in his eyes happy indeed it was for them both 
that the most perfect confidence did exist between them for henry had conceived the project of marrying the young knight to lady katrine and though the queen with the instinctive perception of a woman in those matters soon saw that such a plan would very ill accord with the feelings of either party and quickly discouraged it yet henry giving way to all his own impetuosity hurried it on with precipitation took every occasion to force them together and declared that he would have them married as soon as the court returned from the meeting with the french king at guine the situation of sir osborne was not a little embarrassing the more especially as lady katrine in her merry malice often seemed to give in entirely to the king's schemes having a threefold object in so doing if object can be attributed to such heedless gaiety namely to coquette a little with sir osborne which she did not dislike with anybody to enjoy his embarrassment and at the same time to tease lord darby with these three laudable motives she might have contrived to make sir osborne and lady constance unhappy had not that mutual confidence existed between them which set all doubts at defiance nor indeed was it lady katrine's wish to do harm whimsical gay and thoughtless she gave way to the impulse of the moment if she was in good humour she was all liveliness and spirit running as close to the borders of direct flirtation as possible with whomsoever happened to be near but on the contrary if anything went wrong with her she would be petulant and irritable showing forth a thousand little airs of affected dignity and reserve which were not natural to her no one's good regard did she seek more than that of lady constance de grey and yet she seemed to take every way to lose it but constance though so different herself understood her character appreciated the good made allowance for the faults and secure in darnley's affection forgave her little coquetry with her lover in regard to lord darby he knew lady katrine too and if ever he gave himself a moment's uneasiness about her waywardness he did not let it appear if she flirted he flirted too if she was gay he took care not to be a wit behind if she was affectionate he was gentle if she was cross he laughed at her she never could put him out of humour though to do her all manner of justice she tried hard and thus finding her attempts to tease ineffectual she gradually relaxed in the endeavour in the meantime the days of sir osborne and lady constance flew by in a sweet calm that had something ominous in its tranquillity he had almost forgotten sir payam walton and in the mild flow of her happiness constance scarcely remembered the schemes with which the avaricious and haughty wolsey threatened to trouble the stream of her existence but nevertheless it was to be expected that if the dispensation had not yet arrived from rome it could not be delayed more than a few days and that at the return of the minister from york the command would be renewed for her to bestow her hand upon lord darby such thoughts would sometimes come across constance's mind with a painful sensation of dread and then with a spirit which so fair and tender an exterior hardly seemed to announce she would revolve in her mind a plan for baffling the imperious prelate at all risks and yet not implicate her lover at the very moment that his fortunes were a-making then again she would often hope that the extraordinary preparations that were going forward 
for the speedy meeting of the two courts of france and england all the ceremonies that were to be arranged and the many important questions that were to be discussed would divert the mind of the cardinal from herself at least till after that meeting had taken place during which interval chance may produce many circumstances more favourable to her hopes at all events her resolution was taken she felt too that no power on earth was adequate to combat that determination and thus with fixed purpose she turned her mind from the contemplation of future dangers to the enjoyment of her present happiness the scene in richmond park to which the court had now removed from greenwich as well as the bright gentleness of the may morning in which she met sir osborne there was well calculated to nurse the most pleasing children of hope and yet there was something melancholy even in the magnificent aspect of the day i know not how but often in those grand shining mornings the soul seems to swell too powerfully for the body the spirit to feel galled as it were by the chain that binds it to mortality whatever be the cause there is still in such a scene a pensiveness that steals upon the heart a solemnity that makes itself felt in those innermost recesses of the mind where thought and sensation blend so intimately as to be hardly separable from each other constance and darnley both felt it but still it was not sorrow that it produced for mingling with their fervent love and their youthful hope it gave their feelings something of divine this is very very lovely darnley said lady constance after they had long gazed in silence oh why are not all days like this why must we have the storm and the tempest and the cloud perhaps replied the knight if all days were so fair we might not esteem them so much we should be like those constance who in the world have gone on in a long course of uninterrupted prosperity and who have enjoyed so much that they can no longer enjoy oh no no cried she there are some pleasures that never cloy and amongst them are those that we derive from contemplating the loveliness of nature i cannot think that i should ever weary of scenes like these no let me have a fairy sky where the sunshine scarcely knows a cloud and where the air is always soft and sweet like this at this moment mistress margaret approached with some consternation in her aspect good now lady cried she look who is that coming such a strange-looking little man no bigger than anatomy oh i am glad the knight is with us for it is something singular i am sure you are very right mistress margaret said sir osborne this is indeed a most singular being that approaches constance you have heard the queen and her ladies speak of sir caesar the famous alchemist and astrologer he is well known to good dr wilbraham and seems for some reason to take a strange interest in all my proceedings depend on it he comes to warn us of something that is about to happen and his warning must not be slighted for from wheresoever his knowledge comes it is very strange lady constance and the knight watched the old man as he came slowly over the green towards them showing little of that vivacity of demeanour by which he was generally characterised on approaching near he bowed to lady constance with courtly ease saluted the knight in a manner which might be called affectionate and without apology for his intrusion seated himself at the lady's feet and began a gay and easy conversation upon the justs of the day before 
"'There is no court in the world,' said he, after a little, "'and there are few courts I have not seen, "'where such sports are carried to the height of luxury that they are here. "'I never saw the tournaments, the just, the pageants of Henry the Eighth, "'King of England, excelled, but once.' "'And when was that, may I ask?' demanded Lady Constance, "'whose feelings towards the old man were strangely mingled of awe and curiosity.' so much as she heard of him and his strange powers during her residence at the court it was in germany replied sir caesar at the city of ratisbon and it was conducted as all such displays should ever be conducted each knight wore over his armour a motley suit and on his casque a cap and bells the hilt of his sword was ornamented with a bauble and as they made procession to the lists the court fools and all the electors in the empire followed behind the knights and whipped them on the blown bladders nay nay you are a satirist said lady constance such a thing surely could never happen in reality in truth it did lady answered sir caesar it was called the tournament of fools though i wot not to distinguish it from other tournaments which are foolish enough osborne he continued turning abruptly to the young knight you will ride no more of this court how mean you demanded sir osborne why should i not i mean replied the old man that i come to forewarn you of approaching evil perhaps you may turn it aside but there is much that threatens you are you not losing time the king's regard is gained wherefore then do you delay while wolsey is absent mark me while wolsey is absent or you are lost for the moment oh say not so cried lady constance clasping her hands oh say not so for i hear that he returns to-morrow fear not lady said sir caesar who had now risen the danger will last but for a time and then pass away so that whatever happens to either of you let not your heart sink but be firm steadfast and true all the advice i can give you is but the advice of an ordinary mortal like yourselves men judge rashly when they think that even those who see clearest can yet see clear all that i know all that i behold is but a dim shadowing forth of what will be like the indistinct memory of long gone years a circumstance without a form i see in both your fates an evil and a sorrowful hour approaching and yet I cannot tell you how to avoid it. But I can descry that twill be but for a while, and that must console you. Good Sir Caesar, said the young knight, I will ask you no questions, for I have now learned that you were a dear friend of my father, and I feel sure that you will give all knowledge that may be useful to me. And if you will tell me what is good to do in this conjuncture, I will follow it. Good now! said sir caesar with a gratified look good i see you are overcoming your old fault though you have been a long while about it three thousand years to my remembrance constance turned an inquiring look to her lover who however was not capable of giving her any explanation think you demanded he addressing sir caesar that it would be best to inform his grace of everything at once i think it would said the old man i think it would but i scarcely dare advise you osborne there is a conviction pressing on my mind which i have perhaps learned too late can it be that those who are permitted to read certain facts in the book of fate 
are blinded to the right interpretation of that which they discover perhaps it may be i have reason to believe it naught that i have ever calculated has proved false but often often it has been verified in a sense so opposite to my expectations yet so evident when it did appear that it seems as if heaven held the search presumptuous and baffled the searcher even with the knowledge he acquired never more will i presume to expound aught that i may learn the fact i tell you an evil and a bitter hour is coming for you both but it shall not last and then you shall be happy when i am no more and turning away without other farewell he left them and took the way to the palace lady constance gazed on the face of her lover with a look of apprehensive tenderness that banished all thought of himself oh my constance said he to think of your having to undergo so much for me is too too painful but fear not dear constance we are still in a land where laws are above all power and they cannot they dare not ill-treat you for myself darnley replied constance i have no fear they may threaten they may wrong me they may do what they will but they can never make me marry another it is for you i fear however he said that we should be happy at last though he hinted that you would be driven from the court oh darnley if that be the case if you find there be the least danger fly without loss of time and leave behind me said darnley all i love in the world oh constance would not the block and axe itself be preferable it would it would a thousand times preferable to leaving you for ever it might said constance i myself feel it might if you feel as i feel but darnley i tell you at once i boldly promise to follow but still constance dear excellent girl said the knight would it be right would it be honourable in me to accept such a sacrifice darnley said lady constance firmly my happiness is in your hands and what is right and honourable is not to throw that happiness away now that my love is yours now that my hand is promised to you you have no right to think of rank or fortune or aught else if i were obliged to fly would you not follow me and wheresoever you go there will i find a means to join you all i ask all i pray in return is that if there be the least danger you will instantly fly will you promise me if you love me you will i will said sir osborne what would i not do to prove that love but i trust dear constance there may be no need of hasty flight all they can do will be to banish me the court for i have committed no crime but coming here under a feigned name i know not i know not said the lady tis easy when no crime is to forge an accusation and if reports speak truth such has been wolsey's frequent policy when any one became loved of our gracious king so that even the favour you have gained may prove your ruin but you have promised to fly upon the first threatening of danger and i hold as a part of that promise that you will stay for no leave-taking well well constance replied the knight time will show us more but at all events i will try to anticipate wolsey's return and by telling henry all secure my fate do so do so said lady constance and oh lose no time fly to him darnley he must be risen by this time farewell farewell 
sir osborne would fain have lingered still but constance would not be satisfied till he went at last then he left her and proceeded with quick steps to the palace while she with a slower pace pursued another path through the park having been rejoined by mistress margaret who not liking the appearance of old sir caesar had removed to a secure distance on his approach and who now poured forth no inconsiderable vituperation on his face his figure and his apparel End of chapter twenty one